Welcome back to AnimeCons TV. My name is Doug Wilder. We haven't had a chance to do too many episodes this year, mainly because most in-person conventions have been uh, canceled. So uh, instead of that, we're going to take a look at some of the virtual conventions. I actually invited one guest to speak with me about it, Daryl Surratt. So without further ado, here's me talking with Daryl about virtual conventions. Well, we're here again at AnimeCons TV. We haven't had too many conventions to actually talk about in-person events, but more and more conventions have been doing online or virtual conventions, as they're starting to become known as. So I brought in a special guest, uh, Daryl from Anime World Order. Welcome back to AnimeCons TV. It's been a while since we've It had. has been a while, hasn't it? Uh, probably not since uh, Otakon a couple of years ago, I think, would probably have been the last time that we were yeah. on. So, well, welcome back. Uh, and we're just going to start kind of sharing notes about what we think of for how virtual cons are doing as it's be starting to become a bit of the norm. Uh, as we're recording this, Otakon online was just this past weekend uh gerald you had a panel correct i did um so just for people who don't know i am a writer for otaku usa magazine and i also have an anime podcast of my own the anime world order podcast and i really was unsure about doing virtual convention panels um uh, several of them had gone by up to this point and each time I was like, man, I don't know. Can I really do this? How does it work technologically? Does any preparation differ from what you do versus when you show up live? And so when Otakon announced their panel um, applications, I put it off till the last second. I waited until the last day with hours to go, and then I said, all right, let me put in this application. And I got accepted. So I ended up effectively kicking off the panel, the, con the convention. Uh, the reason being that I think the schedule may have been built by virtue of the order in which things were turned in. And I turned mine in about a day or two early. <laughs> so I actually got one of the best possible uh, times because I had a morning schedule. Um, it was effectively the first um, panel panel of the, the convention. And I had the best lead-in possible because they were doing a live stream from Japan for the composer Kaoru Wada, who had the world premiere of Yashihime, the Inuyasha sequel. So about 900 people from all over the world were in that uh, room um, from Japan, from Korea, from South America. And I was expecting all of them to leave once their thing was over, but about half of them stayed. So I had 30 years ago anime in 1990, which is typically not a very massively attended panel. Even at Otakon, where there's 25,000-some people, this is typically a panel that maybe only fills, you know, 60, 70 people. Well, about 450-some showed up and stayed uh, on Twitch. So it's a, a huge audience for that. And I think it's... Uh, Partially because it was one of the first things on the schedule, and also because it had such a massive uh, thing to lead into it. Uh, Otakon gave people the option of either pre-recording their panels and submitting it ahead of time, or doing it live. Did you? Which uh, did you do? 
So I pre-recorded it, and the reason I pre-recorded it was because I've been watching a lot of these virtual conventions happening since they started, because I want to see technologically, would it be possible for me to do the sort of panel that I do online, which is to say I generally show a lot of video. I don't really do a whole lot live. I'm effectively just showcasing video clips, maybe mixing them as I go with narration. It turns out that this is quite taxing on live streaming systems. I'm pretty familiar with Twitch, and so I know how that works. But for these conventions, you have to basically turn the keys over to another streamer. So how everyone else sees your video is dependent on how good your connection to that streamer is. Right before my panel was a person who tried to do a live stream and it did not go well. There were disconnects, there was lag, and even in the Kawarawada panel from Japan, he was trying to play a video of his, you know, Yashihime premiere over what is effectively the equivalent of Zoom. Don't do this. <laughs> the, the video sharing apparatus used in things like Skype or Zoom or even Discord and things like that is, is really maybe for like 12, 15 frames per second sort of play, you will often lose sync between your audio and your video. So I did not live stream it just because I'd seen the difficulties in how things had gone in other previous conventions. I sent them in a pre-recorded video for mine. And I got to say, it was really difficult to do that because I had no experience with uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough to also be selected, and I actually looked at the time frame they gave us, and they only gave us about two weeks to record something, and I just looked at kind of what I had for work-life schedule, and I said I can't really sit down, edit this, and have time, but also all these panels were only given half-hour blocks, which for me is very hard and difficult. Um, I got to say, yeah, from the viewer standpoint, it was probably great. But from the content creator panelist standpoint, this is one of the roughest panel experiences I've had for the two reasons you just gave. The uh, very short time frame between approval and, you know, go time. And then partially into that, they said, actually, we know we gave you an hour, but you have to do 30 minutes instead. And, you know, you're a veteran anime convention panelist as am I one hour is the the norm and so we typically block things out for an hour I never would have been able again between having to learn the whole process and the work-life balance I had to just take something that was already prepared and already researched out and written and and make that a panel there's no way I would have been able to make this from scratch from the time it was approved to the time we had to do it yeah I took a previous incarnation of one panel and shaved it down and actually two nights before the convention I got a bunch of friends on discord and just did a dry run to see how it was like if I was going to fit in time and even if there was any topics and I still had to take out about 10 slides just to make sure I was uh, giving enough time for everything and it was literally one panel ended I was it was go time for me and as soon as I was done the next thing hit it was 
no room for error. Yeah, there was no buffer in between the end of one panel and the beginning of another. What's more, um, from a technical standpoint, they gave us a style guide and they said, you need to use this resolution and follow this template. I followed the template and it turned out that they did not use that template at all. Um, so I was under the impression that, you know, they had given like an outline of like, hey, don't put graphics or anything in these spaces because we're going to put our own, you know, Otakon Online promotional things there. So the portion of the panel video I turned in only took up a fraction of the screen. Then when they played it, they just played it exactly the file that I gave them. There was no overlay. And so it looked a little, uh, looked a little silly. Yeah. But with more conventions doing this online experience, one thing I noticed in the Otakon one was there was even for being one of the largest conventions in, in North America, they didn't have, I think they only had like one or two industry panels, like, Right stuff was the really only the noteworthy one. So. Yeah, and I think this is a function of if you're doing an online event and you're an industry presence, why compete? Why not just do your own direct showcase on your own time? It can be during the week. It can be you know on a time when there isn't competing eyeballs. And then you have all the time to showcase your own event and put together your own presentation without having to worry about, hey, what's going on in the next room? Or, hey, what are the other people announcing? You control the news cycle if you do your own announcement. And I think a lot of the, com the companies, the anime companies, are saying, yeah, we'll just do our own thing on our own time. Of course, in the case of Anime Expo, it kind of ended up being they all were competing against each other anyway on that 4th of July weekend. Yeah, uh, that was... Uh, Funimation had their event at the same time, right? Funimation had their event, yeah. and Aniplex also had their event. <laughs> and Anime Expo had their event, which had their own industry things. And it was, like, such a physical constraint scheduling issue brought unnecessarily into the online space that I thought it was somewhat amusing. Yeah. I did find it interesting when I was watching some of the uh, Anime Expo Lite. I tuned in for the Gundam merchandise panel that was run by Bluefin because, of course, I wanted to see, see if there was any material I could use for news that I was going to bring up. And it was interesting. They only had an hour block, and you could tell by the end they were starting to run out of steam they, they were looking at, they were just kind of talking amongst themselves. And I, I kind of wondered, would I rather have, like, too much time and be trying to fill it or have that half hour, make you know, have to make every last second count and not go over? And I think, personally, I'd rather be squeezed than have a block that I couldn't fill. Yeah, I think in, in the case of a lot of those industry-type events... A lot of times they are sort of reliant on a live audience to provide some sort of feedback that they can respond to in real time. Online chat is usually not the most productive of um, communications options. And so they may not have been, you know, checking that and responding yeah. in time. You really need a moderated uh, chat to say like, hey, if you have questions for Bluefin or the industry, submit them to the moderator. The moderator screens them and then passes them along. And a lot of these 
industry things didn't have something like that set up. Yeah. Um, but some of them did. And but again, I to me it all goes back to it's only been a few months now. And this whole virtual convention thing, I was at the closing ceremonies for Otakon, and they, for whatever reason, didn't want to say their name, but they implied it by saying, hey, the fan community stepped up and effectively forced their hand into doing, you know, Otakon online. And and that's really, that's anime lockdown they're talking about. That was, you know, just two fans that had never run a convention before, never had events experience before, said, hey, let's do this online thing. Through word of mouth, they put it together. And then, you know, maybe three people as moderators in a Discord, and then, you know, one person to one or two people to man the stream. And, you know, they put on a heck of a show. And then Funimation and all these people said, we have to also do this. But in so doing, they sort of made some odd technical mistakes that I'm like, wow. You guys are like experienced convention professionals or industry folks, and, and you got outdone by two guys who had never done a con before. You know, who just had a, a Twitch stream. Like I, I thought, like you know, hey, that's a little weird. Um, so I've seen, you know, whether it's the all the anime over in England, I've seen, you know, Expo and Funimation that are doing like the decidedly 100% industry approach. And Otakons was sort of a mix of that, but definitely, to your point, a lot more fan stuff because the industry people are like, we don't need to, you know, go opposite, you know, these other five streams that are going on simultaneously. Yeah, you did mention one thing about the fan aspect in the audience, and that was one thing that I think is very interesting is either if you're pre-recording the uh, your panel, you if you do that, you can hop in the stream, watch it. And see what see what people are saying live, whereas if you're just going live, you don't you you're you're streaming from your computer, you're sharing your screen, you can't really be watching the chat, so it's very you don't have as much of a feedback for what you know what's resonating with people, what points are going well, and things like that. So, as it depends on the style of panel that you conduct, I think Mm -hmm. there are certain styles of panels where you do want. Uh, back and forth, or at least a Q&A. I am a strong adherent of no Q&A at panels. <laughs> uh, and so the panels I run in person are, I show up, I've got my material, it's this long, I'm going to run through that. If people have questions, just come up to me afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just because some people, maybe they have trouble phrasing things correctly or what have you. And other times they may bring up a question that, hey, I'm going to answer that in 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and so it can throw off your timing if you have to stop and, and answer it right then and there. But if you're doing a workshop, if you're doing a tutorial or instructional thing, say, hey, here's an introduction to Japanese, or here's my sightseeing when I went to Japan, Takahaba, or what have you, then, yeah, you may want you know people to ask questions, say, hey, what was the name of that store, or where do I get this, or you know, what, what's the procedure for uh, getting this sort of currency or b- booking this sort of flight? Like, then you do need the back and forth. Uh, for mine, it's not as interactive. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think if you pre-record it, you lose that interactivity as far as what the viewer is seeing on screen, but you can at least interact you know, with typing responses to people in, in a much faster way than you'd be able to if you were doing your presentation, looking at the chat, answering. 
Yeah. Um, and just, do you think there's anything else you th uh, would like to see these online experiences do? I think you mentioned a lot of it, of a lot more fan-driven content uh, being the kind of the what's going to make these really succeed. Is there anything else you'd like to see online conventions do or maybe avoid doing? I would like for online conventions to take better advantage of the fact that they're online in a non-physical space. Um, I think one of the key issues I've seen um, as far as the biggest benefit of being online is accessibility. Um, some people may have physical accessibility issues. Others may have geographical ones. Um, in some cases, there may be time zone differences to say, hey, I would have loved to have gone, but, you know, I have to be at work or this is happening late at night where I am. There are ways for virtual conventions to take advantage or accommodate these things, and a lot of them just aren't doing it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you can support closed captioning in video. You can save your broadcast and then have it be accessible on demand for later on. A lot of these conventions just aren't doing these things. Uh, in the case of Otakon, I was very concerned because they said, we're going to have six streams running simultaneously. Meaning that you have to pick and choose what you're going to watch and what you're going to miss out on. I did see a lot of people were in multiple channels at once, but let's face it, you're channel surfing at that point. You have to like you know pick one thing. And invariably, at least in my experience, there were things that were interesting and something else that was going on at the exact same time that was also interesting. And I couldn't catch all of one or the other. This is something that happens all the time when you're physically at a convention, especially at Otakon. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason for that to have to happen when it's a, a stream broadcast. Yeah. Uh, and so I'd like them to accommodate and, and take advantage of that fact. Um, Obviously, some things are more work for the presenter, and some things are more work for the audience, and so that's the balance I think they're trying to, to strike right now. I think a lot of these physical conventions are just throwing together virtual conventions to keep awareness of their con out there to say, hey, hopefully when next year comes around, remember, we're still there, and we'd really like you to register or carry over your registration. That's, I think, the motive for why so many physical conventions are doing these yeah. is, is a financial, you know, one. Keep, keep people aware of it. I did see Otakon even had print-at-home badges so you could still have that experience and that memento, even if you don't have your, you know, go to Washington for the actual event. You could still I, and have I love memory. that. I think that's great. I think they should do more things like that. I mean... Uh, to go back to our anime lockdown example, I mean, they actually had in between the panels, you know, the host would run and say, like, uh, you know, here's what's going on. And then just to have fun, he'd talk about fictional events that were happening as far as, like, up oh, the elevators are broken or the wedding next door is having, you know, this going on. Like, that stuff is fun. And, you know, it is engaging for a community. And Otakon, they've got stuff like that that they can talk about. They have uh, any number of historical things they can show or, you know, talk to this staffer or, you know, things like that that they could conceivably do for, you know, a later event. And I would like to see them 
continue doing this, even should conventions be able to safely reopen. I would still like to see this sort of, you know, virtual events continue even even afterwards. Yeah, I mean, there's conventions like FlizzCon that will give kind of a virtual ticket uh, for some of their main events. Uh, DragonCon has both the DragonCon TV in the hotel rooms for some of it. So if you don't want to physically be in the giant event space, you can still watch it from your hotel room. And they were also doing, you know, streaming some of that. I mean, DragonCon's massive. You can't stream every single panel room. That would be way too much of an undertaking. But I think seeing more cons, if you know, say it's a featured panelist or a big VIP, maybe stream that panel uh, so people can check it out. I do think, uh, and this is just my opinion, and I guess maybe the numbers may not support this, but um, as a, quote, attendee, I, I do think that maybe one or two streams at most is best. I think it's more focused. I think there's you're less harrowed. I think you can have at least some downtime, you know, to get up. Because like you were saying, one panel ends, the next one begins. Well, guess what? I guess I'm sitting right here, and I don't even have yeah. time to get up for a drink because um, I'm going to miss something. Uh, again, I think Otakon, th- that was sort of unprecedented, what they did with the six at once. And honestly, I think that they didn't need to have six at once because I was looking at you know, hey, some of the viewership for some of these, it, it wasn't that high. And I, I feel like they could have had two or three, and that still would have been a lot. Yeah. And it's you, uh, you also run the issue of you're almost competing with yourself. You're definitely competing with yeah. yourself. So, All right. Well, uh, any final thoughts uh, that you would like to add about virtual conventions? I like the fan-run nature of virtual conventions. That's part of why I like Otakon. It's a convention put on by the fans. They're, you know, technically they're a corporation, but they're not like an industry-driven event. I feel that, you know, yes, there is a level of guest or, you know, musical act or something that you can book if you have industry backing. But to me... This is just my personal old fan experience talking. I feel like there's something a little more artificial when the the big industry folks come in and they just have their industry panel presentations without fan contributions at all in the mix. I feel like I'm being advertised to. I feel like they're selling me a product. And hey, sure, the video game industry does this all the time with their direct events and things like that. And really, people are just there to be like, just give me the announcements, just give me the news. I like to see the fans come in and, and do their events and, and put on their workshops and their you know panels and things like that. I understand that from a physical convention standpoint, only a tiny fraction of people who go to these conventions go to the fan sort of events. Most people are there for the guest of honor. They're there for the musical act. They're there for that sort of thing. But I think if you're going to be on Twitch or if you're going to be on YouTube, this is the content people want to see. I can see a video game tournament anytime I want. Uh, Twitch is all about people playing video games. You may need to see a virtual concert, but there's diminishing returns and some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
I'm glad they're being done. I would like to see more of them. And I prefer the the bottom-up approach over the top-down approach, though I recognize that there's space for both. Okay. Uh, and last but not least, where can people find uh, you online if they want to see more of what you're up to? Sure. I am on Twitter at D-A-R-Y-L-S-U-R-A-T. I'm also a writer for Otaku USA Magazine, and I am a producer and co-host of the Anime World Order podcast over at www.animeworldorder.com. So that's basically all the places I am. I occasionally contribute to Anime News Network, though I may mostly be writing more for Otaku USA and doing podcast things you know, for the foreseeable future. And if I've got any more virtual con appearances, I'll be sure to let people know on, on those channels. Great. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Always a pleasure. And I hope to see uh, some of your more wacky Gundam and robot offerings soon. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And that's basically all we had to say. I actually did a little bit of uh, looking. It's been eight years since we had Daryl on the uh, podcast before, and that was with him and Gerald from the Anime World Order podcast. So I want to thank Daryl again for joining me. I had a really fun time talking with him, and it's great to see different perspectives on how virtual conventions are happening throughout the, the world and what they can do to be better and kind of what we miss about some in-person events. Uh, that's about it, really. I hope I don't spend take another eight years to have Daryl back on the podcast. We love talking to him. We love hearing from him. And base, once again, please check out all his work with the Anime World Order podcast, Otaku USA Magazine, and all his other good stuff. He has some great insight about anime uh, conventions and just anime in general, so he's a great person to talk to. And once again, I hope we can talk to you guys soon. Uh, don't forget to reach out to us if you have any questions about virtual conventions or any other stuff you want to know about, kind of what's going on in the anime convention world, even when most in-person events aren't happening right now. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to subscribe to us uh, on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, wherever you find us, and don't forget to contact us. You can always reach us out, out to us on Twitter, on Tumblr, on Instagram, on Facebook, and good old-fashioned email. You can even, once again, we still have that voicemail line, 762-ADEQUATE, uh, give us a call. We, tell us what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you guys. We miss seeing you guys in person at conventions. Um, stay, Everyone stay safe, stay healthy, so eventually we can't have conventions again. Once again, I'm Doug Wilder, and we'll talk to you guys again hopefully very soon. <laughs>